I'm Steph. And I'm Drew. And you're listening to Spirited Spirits. for the two-week delay. We actually took some much-needed time off from work and everything, and we escaped to Disney World. Very expensive. (laughs) Very expensive trip, but it was really fun, and we hadn't taken the kiddo since he was four, Um, and he's nine now, so it was was kind of a big deal. He was able to ride a lot more rides and and really enjoyed it. So It It was really fun. The only thing is, I somehow managed to pick up something, and we're still kind of dealing with now the lingering effects of it, Um, but I started to get a sore throat and cough and congestion, and uh, by the time I got back, I went to the doctor, and they're like, yeah, you have a sinus infection. And I don't know know what I have. It could be from that, it could be allergies, or it could be air quality from the forest fires in Canada. So we don't know, but it's so apologies if we're coughing. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna try and speak as clearly as we possibly can. I think really Drew's gonna be taking the lead on this one. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, apologies if we sound a little hoarse. (laughs) Right. And um, before we start this episode, before we officially start it, I'm gonna go ahead and issue a very big trigger warning. On this entire episode, mm. um, there's going to be descriptions of murder, sexual assault, and torture Ugh. that may be difficult to listen to. Um, if you would like to continue, uh, take a deep breath. Uh, listener distru- discretion is advised. Yeah. Um, this one is a pretty heinous crime. Um, oh, Sorry, what you just heard was um, we had made a cocktail. I guess that was, you know what, that was like... Our ghost's way, apparently, of letting us know that we need to tell people about our cocktail. I guess so, but that was really <laughs> weird. That just happened. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the, the we I had a shaker, a cocktail shaker, and the lid popped off, obviously from the pressure. Like, I know I'm, like, prone to, like, ghosts, but, like, that was just, like, the pressure, um, obviously, from a- having shaken the cocktail up. Poured it into the glasses. I put the lid back on. Obviously, some pressure had kind of built up in there. Right. Um, but the cocktail we're making tonight. So Andrew's favorite bourbon, Drew's favorite bourbon, is Basil Hayden. Yes. And I found a, a cocktail recipe. It's called Basil Hayden Boulevardier. I don't. I, I guess you pronounce that right. It says know. a Kentucky cocktail with French ancestry. A twist on the classic uses Aperol Apertif, a lower ratio of base spirit, and highlights of lighter, spicier notes of our signature bourbon. So it is one part Basil Hayden, three-fourths part Aperol Apertif, and three-fourths part 
uh, sweet vermouth. And it's supposed to have an orange peel, but I didn't have any oranges. But anyway, it's I think it's really nice. Yeah. Did you did you taste it? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was good. good. So we'll post, of course, on the Instagram the cocktail recipe if you would like to try it. I know some people are interested in trying out some different bourbon recipes, cocktail recipes. So this is one I wanted to recommend and try out. So yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead and get into this horrific well, case. Yeah. So again, I'm going to go ahead and just do another disclaimer due to our ghost friend, you know, popping <laughs> pop and the pop, pop, pop. pop. But um, again, this one, you know, take a deep breath. This is a pretty heinous case. Um, and listener discretion is advised. So, okay. In the early morning hours of August 24th, 1990, Sonia Larson and Christina Powell were being followed. As they walked home, unbeknownst to them, a man who had endured childhood abuse at the hand of his father had made a choice to inflict that pain on others, cementing his metamorphosis from man to monster. As the incoming freshman of the University of Florida returned home, this six-foot-tall man overpowered the two girls. He covered their mouths with duct tape after forcing them to perform oral sex on him, oh, God. as well as raping them. He then stabbed and killed both of them with a K-bar knife. After the grisly murders, he raped Sonya's lifeless body again before cutting off one of her nipples, mm. keeping one as a trophy of the monstrous act he had committed. Danny Rowling had now become the Gangsville Ripper. Oh my god. Um. <laughs> um, right, this is not going to be an easy case to discuss. However, um, when we talk about how man can be the real monster in history sometimes this case is noted to be one of florida's most gruesome serial killer cases but how did we get here how did danny become the gangsville ripper let's dive in uh do we have to <laughs> well i've already written this <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. So, um danny harold rowling was born in shreveport louisiana on may 26 1954 to claudia and james rowling his father, James, was a local cop who never wanted children and was extremely physically abusive to both Claudia and now Danny. At one years old, the abuse started, with Danny being beaten for not crawling properly. What? Yeah. Are you serious? Yes. How do you crawl wrong? Well, I'm not saying he did, but I'm saying that this guy, if you he want to... He's just a fucking asshole. Yes, but we're... Okay. we're you're going to get very mad. I am going to get mad. I'm sorry. Um, Kevin, Danny's younger brother, was born in 1955. The abuse continued throughout their childhood for frivolous things. His father would beat them for even breathing incorrectly. Mm. His father would constantly berate him, yelling that he would never amount to anything. His father even beat their dog to death, causing the dog to die in Danny's arms. Oh, my arms. God. Oh, my God. Claudia attempted to leave the toxic relationship numerous times. However, would give in. And we'll return to James, and the cycle of abuse would continue. That's awful. I, I mean, at that point, it would just be so much better for you and the children to get out of that fucking relationship. This guy clearly, he probably had also an abusive background, this man. Yes, but also... Because we, it's a cycle. Yes. And what we know about the cycle of abuse is that there's a like honeymoon period where they kind of like lavish with gifts. Um, the storm starts to occur. 
the physical abuse happens. There's an apology afterwards. There's a honeymoon afterwards. There's a reconciling, and then it just continues. So what that means is that I mean, with this deep level of abuse, she probably has tried to leave numerous times, but was deathly afraid of probably of her life, but also her children's. Okay. Like if she left, if she left, yes. So Danny failed the third grade due to constant absences. Counselors and teachers stated that he was extremely impulsive with high levels of aggressive tendencies and inferiority complexes. Mm. At night, Danny would run into the woods and around the neighborhood to escape his father's abuse. He would often sneak and look into neighbors' windows, yearning for a stable life. As he grew older, though, the stalking increasingly became more and more sexual, watching young women change, being caught on several occasions, and his father beat him for this. As he grew into his teens, Danny began to drink heavily and use substances to cope with the abuse at home. He would physically fight his father in both retaliation and increased rage stemming from years of abuse. At this point, Danny also got into music and began learning guitar and singing as a way to cope with his chaotic home life. Danny dropped out of high school and attempted to join the Air Force, where he was kicked out for his drinking and substance use, including taking acid a hundred times. Jeez. Okay, I don't know anything about drugs. I don't know anything about acid. Um, I'm assuming dropping acid that many times is, is a lot. I mean, it would change your brain chemistry <laughs> for sure. Yeah, because um, it doesn't eat holes in your brain. I don't know about that it might i i would have to look at that for sure i, I know that huffing does like okay. where, where you breathe in like the air duster mm-hmm. that puts holes in your brain for sure i'm not sure about acid though oh. but i mean you think about it though i mean he has such a chaotic traumatic um home life where we're, we're trying to learn coping skills here and the music is probably the only beneficial one. Right. Everything else is a detriment to his psyche. And the air joining the air force was probably an attempt to escape. Yes. But then he couldn't. That didn't actually fix anything. It didn't fix how he felt and the issues he was dealing with. So that's where substance abuse became. Yes. Yeah. After his time in the military, he arrived home at Shreveport. Shreveport. I think it's Shreveport. Shreveport. I think it's Shreveport. Shreveport. Okay. Determined to change things around. He attended church where he met a woman whom he would marry in 1974. They would have a baby daughter together. However, we don't, we get divorced in 1977 for threatening to kill her. Mm, cycle of abuse. The cycle of abuse continues. Yep. Later that year, he raped a woman that resembled his ex-wife and he killed a woman in a car accident. God. He was arrested in 1981 for a stream of armed robberies and released in 1989. After his release, he found work as a waiter, but he was fired for missing shifts. This was apparently the last straw to him, which led him to a life of crime and a string of murders. Interesting. Okay, real quick. So, well, and again, I think some of this, like, inferiority complex is probably playing in here, too. That he probably feels like he can't do anything else. Like, people who have inferiority complexes feel like they can never, like... Well, let's think about... Overcome what has happened to them. Well, let's also think about where that came from. Because his father was completely... Constantly constantly critiquing everything he did. And And he was yearning for a stable home life and being, like, a stable person, but he never could get there. Mm -hmm. Okay? Environmentally, he has now been, like, groomed and changed to be... He can't exist in a normal society. 
Right. Okay. So, on the night that he got fired in 1989, Danny's jealousy of happy families drove him to stalk the Grissom family to their home. Inside was Julie Grissom, 24, her father, 50, her father Tom, 55, and Julie's nephew, Sean, 8. Danny entered the back door and immediately attacked and overpowered Tom, stabbing him to death. Oh, God. He proceeded to the living room, finding 8-year-old Sean stabbing and killing him. Now, I actually, um, in my research, there's a lot more detail to this, but I don't want to go into it. No, please don't. It was one of those things where I read and I was like, I don't want to have to say that out loud. So he proceeded upstairs where he found Julie tying her up with duct tape and raping her. Afterward, stabbing her to death, he cleaned the body and positioned her in a provocative manner, feeling accomplished. He went home to his father's home, got into a fight with him, and shot him twice, almost killing him. James, his father, lost an eye and an ear in the attack. Danny escaped, changed his name to Michael Kennedy Jr., which was a stolen identity that he had had obtained, and made his way to Gainesville and the University of Florida. <clears throat> and how did he obtain this identity? Did he? Did it tell you? It didn't tell me, but it, I mean, he <clears throat> he was doing armed robberies before this, so he so could he have could just have picked it up. Someone's... Yeah. So I mean, he was before he even started this part of the story. I mean, he was doing armed robberies and everything. Okay. Okay. Once he made his way to Gainesville. Danny, Michael, camped out in the woods close in proximity to the University of Florida. There, he would stalk students through their apartment windows. He started stalking and killing students within four days of arriving in Gainesville. Mm. One day after murdering Sonia Larson and Christina Powell, Danny would stalk his next victim, Christina Holt, 18. Christina was a part-time clerk at the sheriff's office where she worked the night shift. Danny broke into her apartment at night, where she was at work, and waited until she returned. He put her into a chokehold and took her to the bedroom, where he forcefully cut off her clothes and raped her. He then turned her over and stabbed her in the back, puncturing her aorta, which instantly killed Mm. her. He then turned her back over and sliced open her abdomen, removing her nipples and placing them beside her. I don't understand what's with the, the, the removing of the nipples. Like, I, what in his background, his, like, he, A, he got, he, like, frenzied really quickly. Like, he went mm. from, like, but I, I, I guess I, I'm trying to understand the, what, pathology, right? The, so. Why, why? Right. So, when I was doing my research, it's only one, a couple articles talked about the removal of the nipples stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't say anything why, but in in my theory is kind of going going on. Um, again, remember his dad said like he would never amount to anything and never be known for anything. Later, kind of he confesses that he wanted to be a superstar serial killer like Ted Bundy, and so I think in a way by like taking a calling card, almost oh. it's almost like a trophy. And that's like his, his thing, I guess. But he only does it these two times. He doesn't do it the other times. Interesting. So, okay. um, 
So at this point, he returns to his campsite where he realized he lost his wallet. Oh, what a dumbass. <laughs> Thinking he left it at the crime scene, he went back. At the sight of Christina's lifeless body, he decided to pose her in the sitting position on the bed, decapitating her, mm. and putting her head on a shelf to overlook her own body. Oh, he, um, la- he later claimed that he did this to add some shock to whoever found her. So, okay, go ahead. After the police discovered the three victims, panic cemented itself in the town of Gainesville and the University of Florida. Students were buying guns, sleeping in groups, carrying baseball bats to classes. Some students would sleep in shifts, terrified that a serial killer would break in at any moment. By the end of August, at the start of the fall semester, thousands of students had left campus, 700 never returning for fear of their lives. Well, yeah, I don't blame them. I wouldn't go back to that shit. Because what what can they possibly do to promise that you could be safe? Like, there's nothing they could do to to keep you safe. Right. (coughs) So on the night of August 27, 1990, Danny would break into the complex of Tracy Powell's 23 and Mandy... Tabadora? Taboada? Yeah. Taboada. Taboada, 23. Danny was surprised when he broke into Manny's window as he expected a woman or a group of women living there. Not Manny. Manny had a strong athletic build. Tracy had felt safe with him around due to this. Okay, so Tracy is the female and Manny is the male. Yes. So they, they weren't together she just said that it said in the statements that they were like really close friends okay okay Mm -hmm. so tracy was down the hall on the phone with her friend discussing her concerns about these murders when she heard a commotion danny and manny were in a struggle for the knife when danny overpowered manny and stabbed him to death in front of tracy Mm. tracy turned to danny rolling and said you're the killer aren't you he replied yes and chased her down the hallway she was able to get to her room and lock the door. However, Danny Rowling, being the 6'2 monster that he was, shouldered the door numerous times until it gave in. He stabbed her three times, killing her, posing her body, but leaving Manny where he was. He then left the scene quickly due to the loud scuffle that had occurred. Jeez. <laughs> so this all occurred within like two weeks. So this is a very short amount of time mm-hmm. where all of these students were murdered okay okay at this point the university of florida was on high alert and canceled classes with the discovery of manny and tracy the pattern of victims changed the first three were young petite brunette women with brown eyes like danny's mother ah however manny didn't fit that profile everyone was on edge now believing that no one was safe from the serial killer's rampage however the killing stopped. Police were having trouble with leads. It appeared that Danny's father didn't just abuse him, but also taught him how to cover his tracks. Danny would remove the duct tape from the scene and clean the bodies with a cleaning solvent to remove all traces of DNA and no. semen. What? The only clue the police had was that some of the victims were posed in a sexually provocative poses. How would he know to do that? Like, I know you say here that Danny's father, but, how, but Danny's father didn't show signs of having I mean, been. the only thing, and again, these are like different articles that I read. So the only <laughs> thing I can think of is like, you know, even 
if his dad's talking about different cases and how, you know, people are getting away with crimes and like, you know, or what they look for, like DNA and stuff like that, then that is like, oh, in my head, when I'm doing these crimes, these okay, are things. Okay, because his dad was a cop. His dad was a cop, yes. Did you, yeah, I said that. I'm sorry, right? but I had to go back and, th- and see yes. that. Yes. Okay. So his dad was a cop, so he had probably heard stories. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. You good? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, like I said, the only clue that the police had found was the victims were, some of the victims were posed in sexually provocative poses. Okay. Okay. However, the police did arrest a student named Edward Humphrey after numerous students made reports that he was walking around campus with a knife. Hmm. Edward Probably had, for safety. I mean, everyone was run, was walking around with Everyone weapons. was buying fucking guns. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Edward had numerous mental health issues and had scars on his face from a car accident that people thought were defensive wounds mm. from the victims. Mm. Okay. He, he was arrested after attacking his grandmother. It was a person of interest due to discovering that he had a hatred for women and was seen wandering the woods. Oh. Humphreys was in custody for five months. During that time, police found evidence at one of the scenes that confirmed the killer's blood type to be type B. Oh. So they found, like, a little bit of semen, probably. Okay? Wait, no, it says blood type. Can you get, you can't get blood type from semen. You can get, you can get DNA, can't you? You can DNA, but not blood type. I I don't know. It means that someone had to have fought back and there was evidence. That's probably what it is. They found some type of evidence that required, that that found (laughs) that that was. Okay, okay. So they ended up testing Humphrey, and he was type A. Okay. So even though he was released after five months, the police didn't rule out Humphrey, like, was an accomplice. Like, he could have been an accomplice in all of this. Okay? Okay. So during this time, Danny continued to rob businesses and houses. He wasn't murdering anybody, but he was still doing that. That's interesting because typically, like... There's not too many serial killers who just, like, up and stop mm-hmm. killing people. Well, I think what scared... I, like, think, I think BTK did for, like... I think what scared him was breaking in and Manny was there and having to fight. Because he usually can overpower the, the petite the women, yes. brunette women pretty easily. And he's able to, to take control of the situation um, and you know, do what he does and leave without there being an issue. But with being a really loud scuffle, yeah. I think that just like, well, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go back to maybe just for a little bit, go back to just armed robbery. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's still, I mean, cause you get the, I, I from what I understand is serial killers get this itch. Like they have to, they right. can't go for long without. Right. So he <clears> continues <throat> to rob businesses and houses. He ended up getting arrested on September 8th in Acola, Florida, after a high-speed chase for robbing a Winn-Dixie. Oh. Two weeks after the murder stopped. This is, that's when this happened. Okay. He was then sent back to Shreveport to await trial for the robbery, police not knowing that the Gainesville Ripper was in custody already. Interesting. During the police investigations, the Gainesville Police Department found a connection with the previous murder in Shreveport. The Grissom family. Oh. The murder scenes were eerily similar, with the use of duct tape, residue was found, mm-hmm. and the posing of the bodies. 
The Gainesville Police Department contacted Shreveport's Police Department and found that they had also found a blood specimen, a DNA DNA specimen. specimen and the blood type was B. <clears throat> yeah. So at this point, a resident of Shreveport, Cindy Jurich, called Crime Stoppers with a tip. She said, look into the man named Danny Rowling. She said her husband and her were once friends with Rowling, having met him at a local church. She said that her and her husband became more and more uneasy with Rowling coming over, as he would make odd, disturbing statements. One night, Cindy's then-husband, Stephen, came into the room and said, he's got to go. Cindy inquired why. Stephen responding that he, Rowling, had just told him that he, quote, likes to stick knives in people. Oh my god, why would you say that to these, like, people that you're going to church with? Right. Per Cindy, he also stated, One day, I'm going to leave this town, and I'm going to go where the girls are beautiful, and I can just lay in the sun and watch beautiful women all day. Um, okay. Like, that statement doesn't sound, like, it sounds weird, but it's not nearly as weird as, hey, I like to stick knives in people. Right. It's not, I mean, it's it's a weird, creepy statement that sounds like a stalker, which he was doing before, but it's not as concerning as, hey, I like to... It also just sounds like one of those, like, songs, like, I'm gonna go where the girls are beautiful and I can just lay in the sun and watch beautiful women all day. <laughs> this is a serious case. <laughs> but it's sexy, you, know this, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're saying, but... It's like some 70s song. Like, yeah. that just seems... I don't know. That doesn't seem quite as weird as the I like to stick knives at people. True. You're right. You're right. So, okay. So police looked into Danny Rowling and saw that he had a huge criminal record, including armed robberies. They took his blood sample and had a match. Mm-hmm. Type B. Mm-hmm. Danny was a person of interest, but they couldn't put him at the scenes of the crime. That's when one officer remembered that someone had robbed a bank in Gainesville the same day Chelsea got murdered. And the teller put dye packs in with the money that was handed over to the robber. Interesting. They searched the area around the university in the woods and found Rowling's abandoned campsite. They found a tent, pistol, a screwdriver, and um, I don't think I said this before, but he would use a screwdriver to open up the doors. Okay? Oh. So that's how he would get in. He would take a screwdriver and, like, jimmy it in and, like, pop open doors. That reminds me a little bit. Wasn't it something in the Axeman of New Orleans that he would, like, he would cut open the doors or something? He would, like, somehow get in. Anyway, interesting. Go ahead. So... (laughs) Um, they found the money and clothes from the bank robbery. They also found audio tapes. Oh. When they played the tape, it was a song called Mystery Writer, and it was written and sung by Danny Rowling. And I'm going to play it. Just, It's a long song. I'm just going to play a little bit of it for you now. But um, So this is Danny Rowling, and his song is called Mystery Writer.
So it sounds just like what I was singing earlier. Okay. One day I'm going to leave this town and I'm going to okay. go where the girls are beautiful. <laughs> but okay, so it goes it goes on for quite a while. Um and it's like four minutes, but it's about like a, a guy that comes to town, like a, a like a it said Grim Reaper, like a Grim something. Reaper, like death, mm-hmm. and so it's very morbid and like talk. But it also though it kind of it's kind of a good song. <laughs> I, 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 I listened to it and I was like, damn! Like if he had like put all of his effort into not killing not people. killing people and being a good guitarist and musician. We would probably be listening to Danny Rowling, like with Johnny Cash. I mean, like it's really good, and it's 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 kind of just crazy to think about that. You know, it, it, it you could have like a talent like that, but it depends on your growing up and like how your environment and what Support you choose to, and what you choose to do with your life. And that you know, so the audio thing. Um, there's also a message at the end of the tape, and I'm going to play that now. <coughs> okay. All right. I'm getting pretty good at it. Hold on, I'm going to rewind it. I know I'll have to run the rest of my life. But I'm getting pretty good at it. I'm a big boy. I take care of myself. We're all down here for just a breath anyway. Well, I'm sign off for a little bit. That's something I got to do. I know I have to run the rest of my life, but so I'm getting said, pretty good at it. Yeah, he says, I'm a big boy. And he says, at the end, he goes, I'm at the sign off now. I've got something to do. So he's talking about yeah. one of the murders. So at this point, the police have enough evidence to charge Danny Rowling with the murders of the Grissom family, as well as the students of the University of Florida. In 1994, before his trial, he confessed to the only the five Gainesville murders, okay? Claiming that he wanted to be a, quote, serial killer superstar like Ted Bundy, mm. but also blamed his e- evil personality, Gemini, oh, for the crimes. Oh, I wonder if it was a demon, demon possession. I don't, I don't think it was that. Okay. I don't. Well, just... So... During his trial, Rowling fell in love with a true crime writer named Sandra London, and they got engaged while the trial was going on. Oh. He would sing to her and serenade her during, you know, during the court. court, In court. Wow. There are videos on YouTube showing this, and let me tell you, it is cringe city. Wow. It is awkward, because, like, they'll be saying, like, you know, hey, Mr. Rowling, do you have anything to add? And then he turns to her, who she's back in the back of the courtroom, and he just starts singing to her. And so, and she obviously had feelings for him if they got engaged. This yes, wasn't just she actually, one-sided. She wrote a book on him that was like in his own words or whatever. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on April 20th, 1994, Rowlings was sentenced to die by lethal injection. He attempted to escape the death penalty by writing a confession to the Shreveport murders, which is the Grissom family. Mm-hmm. However, the ruling stuck and he was executed on October 25th, 2006. Wow. And actually one thing I didn't add into the script is um, there was 41 people that witnessed him be executed. And that is the highest number of people that has witnessed somebody be executed in the United States. Wow. Okay. So they packed it. It was like 
the families of these victims, like all the victims, um, witnessed him be executed. By lethal injection. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say anything prior to him being executed. His last meal was a lobster tail with drawn butter. Um, and he, oh, he sang, he had, he requested a guitar and he was singing church hymns prior to being taken. What? To- See, this is why, I, oh, okay. I don't know. It's just weird. This is just weird. Yeah. But okay, go ahead. So you might be asking at this point, why did I pick this case yeah, to, why, to review? Because it's a pretty heinous case. So during the media coverage of the murders, a young screenwriter was trying to make it big. He was trying to pin a script for the next big horror franchise. As he saw the coverage of the Gainesville Ripper, he was inspired to write a script that would soon become one of the biggest horror franchises directed by the granddaddy of horror, Wes Craven. Mm. Of course, I'm talking about Kevin Williamson, and that script would be the original Scream. Kevin Williamson. So... So he got, he was inspired by this case. Yes. Because I remember, I do remember hearing about the Gainesville Ripper and I remember how it somehow had inspired because what is it called in, uh, it's not Gainesville, but it's, um, Woodsdale. Woodsdale. Yeah. Is that right? But they just called the Woodsdale murders. Yeah. I think they don't call him the Ripper. They don't call him the Ripper. Because Yeah. Now, they called him the Ripper because they, they, I mean, it was Jack the Ripper. Like, that's where they got Well, he that. was ripping off nipples. Yes. So, Kevin actually is quoted with saying that back when I was researching Danny Rowling, I wanted to write about a serial killer on a college campus and an FBI agent hunting down a college professor. But then I decided to, like, do Scream. Like, he pivoted and used Well, but Scream 2 is a college campus style right. murder. And, and some of the things that, you know... There, there are some similarities here. First of all, I find it eerie that the person that kind of broke the case is named Cindy. Oh, so it's like Sydney and Sid, Sydney, Sydney and Sid, Cindy. Hold on. So it's very similar. Where she called into Crime Stoppers, her name's is Sydney, or Siska. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? No, yes, it's I hear you. Okay. Um. So I found it eerie that that is a connection there. Um, I, I, I see kind of where Kevin with Cindy, Cindy and Sydney. Sydney. Yes. But it's very similar, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's, but there's similarities to this case in the Scream movie. It's like, you know, the mass hysteria <laughs> of, you know, it's in high school in the first one instead of college. But, you know, people are getting brutally murdered with a and i think it's the same weapon i think it's a k-bar knife in the movie and getting brutally murdered and there's like this mass hysteria in this town mm-hmm. and so and the people are like you know staying together or locking themselves up you know and trying to stay safe you know it, it's just there's a lot of similarities with the movie yeah i mean um yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I I mean he took a he took a p- little piece of an idea, and then really kind of expanded upon it and made it a much larger because right. we don't know. In Scream, we don't know how Billy's dad was right. to him and what and, led to. I mean, in fact, like there's 
some like so Andrew Drew and I just watched recently um Scream Three because remember we did the ranking. Yes. <clears throat> and of course that one's the one where it's revealed that it was actually Sydney's brother from a you know, her her mom had, had given birth to this child and gave him up and um he was actually the one who went to Billy and was like, Hey, let's kill you know here look, she's having an affair with your dad, let's kill her. And kind of like encouraged him. Um, so it kind of like takes the, it, it, it's like something new is revealed. Um, and so, well, and I, yeah, I think, was that the last movie that Kevin Williamson had involvement on or was it the fourth one? I think it was the fourth one, but I'm not positive on that. So another reason why, I know sometimes I pick these true crime ones and they're not quote unquote fun episodes to listen to um you know man can be the biggest monster of all sometimes yeah and i and i think so here's here's the thing like psychologically looking at this case you know he he was abused starting off in the earliest stage of his life that you could be like infancy okay Mm -hmm. that's all he's known um and so, instead well, his of, dad was a real asshole, but I don't. I mean, I don't know. But also, the thing is, though, is like as he goes gets older, you know, and and what I've always kind of said about trauma stuff is like you know, at, at some point you kind of have a choice to work on it yourself and um, through therapy or whatever, and you know you can not get better, but just kind of learn <clears throat> to cope with that and 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 overcome you, it overcome it yeah um or let it consume you mm-hmm. and you know trauma increased trauma in, increases increased substance use and substance abuse um you know as we see in this case too and then in the very extreme cases child abuse and trauma if you choose to inf- be so angry to inflict that pain, pain on, others. on others this is kind of what you get unfortunately and um it's one of those things where you're like this again, this case is a very sad case for the mm-hmm. for the victims and and everybody. Um, to the point where there's five on University of Florida's campus there's five trees that have been planted numerous years ago for these victims. And there's a mural saying like don't forget them. Um, so I mean this is a pretty big case for yeah, I wonder how they felt. Like, I wonder how people who were involved in the case felt about the screen movies. I I was thinking that too as I was researching. I was like, you know, I I mean, as a as a horror movie watcher, mm-hmm. you know, I I love the screen movie. I think it's great because it's meta. And it, it talks about horror movies in general and like like those tropes. But then to also like research <clears> this and be like, like holy shit, like this is. A, a very extreme case of like just terror on a, you know, a town and a university campus, you know, it kind of it's like a little icky. Yeah. 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 It's one thing when it's just fantasy or like made up. Being, like it's not real, but this like is you real. don't have to worry about uh, Freddy Krueger or right. Jason Voorhees. Right. But then when you find out the truth behind. Right. Um, that what inspired. Right. Uh, what, you know, it's yeah it changes things so So on that note everyone just take a big 
Breathe in. Breath. Breathe out. And just take a deep breath. And we talked about that case. And take a sip of bourbon. Take a sip of bourbon. Or and breathe take out. tea. If you want tea, you take a sip of tea. I'm going to need more bourbon. Okay. <laughs> so, listeners, what do you think of the case of the Gainesville Ripper? Do you have any ideas for true crime related to stories we've told? Or, sorry, that we should tell. The stories we haven't told. Yeah. Um, please remember that you can email us. We would love to hear from you. Contact spiritedspirits at gmail.com. Um, don't forget to follow us. We are kind of on Twitter. <laughs> we, we have a Twitter account that's not not very active. At Spirited Spirits and Instagram. We do, you know, we're pretty good about Instagram. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, and we're going to post that cocktail on there. At Spirited underscore Spirits under, underscore podcast. And um, just reach out to us. Send us a message. Email us. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. We like it when you say hi. Yeah, we really do. So, say hi. We have one one really good <laughs> listener <laughs> who constantly is emailing us. We love it. We love All right. It. So, we um, we hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. We hope you join us next week or whenever we post We're going to post next week. <laughs> We're going to do it. Okay. As we talk about spirits while, while we, we step on, on spirits. spirits. Bye. Bye.